Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning. The countdown is on to real live sports. NASCAR's back. Golf's back on Thursday. Feels like we're just ramping up, right? There's way more golf fans in Utah than there are NASCAR fans. But the Jazz are July 31st with the NBA in Orlando. That's another level. Baseball. Come on, baseball. Well, we're not getting the bees, though, so regardless, right? So locally, it's not going to be such a big deal. Uh, football's on track. You know, I think football's not only on track. I think it's on track for fans. I don't know if the attendance is going to be... Uh, well, it depends on the stadium. Um, it seems like a lot of people seem to be focusing on that 20 25%, 30% range. Um, I think locally we'll see fans in the stands. I'm not really buying the no fans in stands. And I think that ought to be part of the discussion... Uh, these baseball negotiations, um, you know, they, they can get some fans in the stands and it depends on the stadium. Uh, talking to people, it seems like restrooms and concessions are the concern, not people sitting in the stands. They've already got, the whole ticketing thing has been computerized for a long time. So as far as mapping out a stadium and then blocking out some seats, I mean, they already kind of do that. So that's not a big hurdle. Now, how do people use the, the restrooms? How do they use the concessions? And honestly, at this point, Maybe they don't use the concessions. <laughs> Maybe you just don't. And the more drinks you sell, whether it's beers or sodas, and they sell plenty of both at freakishly crazy prices. Um, that's just going to send more people to the restroom. So maybe you don't sell concessions or maybe you sell stuff on a really limited basis and shut it down after the third inning or the second quarter or something. And so I think football and baseball have to deal with that. Uh, I did talk to someone in college over the weekend um, who works at one of the local college programs here in the state who says, and I said, what about basketball? Because I think we've learned outdoors is way safer than indoors. The amount of concerns I have about coronavirus outdoors have dropped dramatically since Rudy tested positive, right? Golf courses are full. And I think, you know, baseball and football outdoor sports uh, basketball. And I said that and the person said back, nobody's even thinking about basketball. Nobody's talking about basketball. It's not even, it's not even a topic of discussion. There's so much money at stake with football. Also, I was told that uh, for all their uh, bluster and all that, it's born of desperation that the bigger the program, the harder they're pushing for the tickets because yes, they make a lot of money in the stadium, but they need that money also. They've budgeted. It's not extra. And so I didn't really, I thought that some smaller programs could be really hurt uh, by what happens this fall. And, and the response I got back was, well, you know, the, the smaller schools that are averaged in 10,000, which for our purposes here, you know, Weber State in Southern Utah, if you're averaging five to 10,000 people, you don't have that much revenue. You're probably supported by student fees in the school. So you're not taking that big a hit. Now, if the school takes a hit, maybe you get hit on that end of it. Um, and then progressively, it's a little more of a hit at Utah State and then a much bigger hit for Utah and BYU. But even Utah and BYU with their 45000 and 60000 that's nothing compared to the SEC. So all this bluster in the SEC about we're going to go because they have to because they've already spent the money. Intriguing. Uh, as we get to basketball, and I know it's easy to say, ah, the youths are already social distancing. Ah, okay, stop it. Don't tweet that at me. I already know you're going to say it. Um, 
but it is an issue going forward. Um, we're going to have Steve Cleveland coming up here in a, uh, in a few minutes, and we'll talk to him about uh, the Morgan Scally stuff, but we'll also talk to him about uh, Caleb Lohner, who's uh, he's a Wasatch Academy kid, four-star prospect, and um, looked like he might be going to the Y. They had the coaching change. He signed with the U, but now he wants out, and he wants to go to the Y. Uh, and we'll talk with Steve about that. And the one thing, you know, we always wonder about the star prospect, star system and how accurate it is. And uh, PK's always insisted that it's uh, better for basketball than football, which I buy. And I think, um, I think the biggest reason is that in football, you've got to project kids who will never compete against each other. And in basketball, I mean, it was decades ago that the high school game dropped off in relevancy to college coaches. When you see a college coach at a high school game, they're there to be seen and let the kid know they care. It's not really about evaluating the basketball talent. They want to see them in the AAU situation where the top players are going against each other, where the players of similar skill level are competing, not in high school where there can be a wide talent gap and guys can be overwhelmed. And the thing I'll tell you about Loner. Assuming he ends up at the Y, I don't know that he will. I don't think he'll end up at the U. We'll have Steve Cleveland address that. Um, that seems pretty clear. But, um, you know, and how good is how good is he really? The U has put a lot of stock on him, part of a great recruiting class, and now the Y is going to, and it'll be natural U fans to downplay him. I haven't seen him play full games. I've watched the clips, and watching clips, the thing I can tell you is, man, the game looks easy for him. It looks like his athletic ability just overwhelms people. You know, it's why he's a four-star guy, not a three-star guy. There does seem to be now the clips can be deceiving because you just see his best stuff. But before he makes a big play, he's just moving so easily. It just comes so easy. He is never under stress. He is never under pressure. And when you're not under stress or pressure, it's easier to perform. Just relax. You're you're a cut above everybody. You move better. You jump better. You change ends better. You shoot it better. It is just so easy. And the games, the clips that I saw, he he was just so comfortable, so easy. Now, bigger athletes, longer athletes, quicker athletes, higher level of competition. Some of that uh, comfortability can go away pretty quickly. And that's where when you're watching clips kind of curious. You know, you you want to see everybody ideally at the point where they're getting beat. Because then you're like, okay, that's the level of talent they're going to struggle with. So you kind of get an idea for what the ceiling is now. And all these kids should have potential. I mean, if you're, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, you, you still ought to have a ton of upside. If you don't, then what's the point? And if you never get to that situation, well, then what are you, LeBron? You know, I mean, we just went through, uh, the Jordan stuff and the, the stuff on him in the early years and going to the camp and like he just blew through an elite camp. You're kind of like, whoa, where's the scene on this guy? He is literally no one makes the game stressful for this guy. So I haven't seen enough of the loner to see at what point that he was stressed. He was sped up. That That's a cliche, but it's true. You see guys play faster and play stressed and they're not as good. Well, what's happened in the game? Who's the talent on the other side? Now, maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a collection of people who make the game difficult. But I think ideally, you really want to see that because then you start to get an idea. Okay, there's the guy's ceiling. Here's where he registers. The clips I've seen of Loner, he's just better than everybody. Now, the problem is I don't do this enough to know the level of competition. The people who do this for a living, the uh, the scouts, both college and pro, 
they they know all that forwards and backwards. And that's where, you know, they're, they're a step in front of the rest of us. Um, uh, so anyway, we'll talk with Steve Cleveland about that coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK, Steve Cleveland on the way. Eric Rowe to talk about Morgan Scally after that on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it is time now to talk with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. And Steve joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Well, we got multiple things to talk to you about today. One thing that PK and I haven't had to do is manage other people during our careers. Don't know if you can pay me enough to manage other people, but there are people who do that. And as a head coach, you're CEO. Now, a basketball, a college basketball head coach, obviously the organization isn't as big as football, right? More players, right. more assistants, more staff. But still, you are, uh, you're, you're aware of um, the allegations against Morgan Scally and Morgan issued Apology Friday. And there is an investigation going on. And we have already discussed, and I'm sure a lot of people have thought about, if they keep him, which on some level there must be some interest in doing that because they haven't let him go yet. So if they keep him, what would that mean for recruiting in the long run? How do you handle this within your staff? As the, as the CEO, whether you're basketball or football, there's got to be a checklist of stuff you got to go through. What are you thinking about? Because PK and I never do that. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you, you get to the, to the root of the issue and make sure find out what's true and what isn't. And, uh, and I think that the, and I don't know all the details. I'm aware of this circumstance. I've read a few things, but I will, I'll just say this. If anytime as a head coach, you have an issue between an assistant coach and players, regardless of what they mean, obviously this is at a time where there's a heightened sensitivity as there should be in terms of racism and the thing is kind of the blatant disregard for people and, you know, obviously, we in our in our country right now. Um, this is everywhere you look. This is what we're talking about, as we should be. And so then, all of a sudden, you know, you it comes to light that one of your staff members has said some inappropriate things to players. And the first thing you're doing is you you bring you know you bring that player you know you bring that coach in, and and I'm sure they did that. They sat down and talked with him. I don't know. I don't have. I'm not privy to that interview, but I'm you know obviously. What's going on? What's the situation? The next people you go to are players. So who, who was offended? Who reported it? What were the circumstances? And you gather all the information you can. But in the sensitivity of these times, when everything is so transparent, whether it's social media, through television, print, print material, whatever it might be, uh, I, I think you do have to, to kind of go slowly with this, make sure that, uh, you know, you've marked all the boxes because – you're right. If they keep coach, and, uh, and, and I don't know him personally, I know a lot about him, uh, and I have read um, 
five, six, or seven former players who have great love for him and say that he's changed their life. But that being said, I, I think sometimes we've all been involved in coaching. I mean, I, we've all had those ugly moments and maybe did something inappropriate or did something that uh, we're not proud of. Uh, and, in, and in the world we live in today, that can erase all the good we've done. And it doesn't seem fair, but it is. That's kind of how it is. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to resolve this situation, but they have to take their time and do it. They just can't. It can't be a knee-jerk reaction. And, and I, obviously, he's been suspended, <clears throat> and, and that was appropriate. And I, you gather all the information you can, and eventually, the head coach is going to have to make a decision. And what him in his gut, what he feels took place, and what happened. I have no idea what was said. Maybe you, you all could enlighten me on that. I don't know what the dialogue or the narrative was. Uh, obviously, it. It must have been pretty serious, or it wouldn't have been brought up. And was it was it something that was said in jest? Was it something that was said uh, maliciously? I mean, the the intent is really important. The intent of the coach and what were the circumstances? I mean, all those things you got to go through. If in fact they do decide to keep him, then obviously he's going to probably have to sit down with counselors and uh, have some therapy and and talk about things that he can do to, to better be more sensitive to all people, specifically, obviously, African-American people. Yeah, I think that they, uh, from my estimation, uh, they got a commitment from an African-American. He intended to text uh, somewhat in jest to another staff member, who I believe was also African-American, and he inadvertently sent it to either the kid or the kid's parents, and that's what it was, and it was in 2013, and then when he goes out there and comments on the George Floyd situation, somebody brings it up on social media. Hey, here's what you did. You want me to expose what you did in 2013? And then the floodgates open, and here we are today. You know, we know Morgan Scally, DJ, and I. He did a show on our station right after us for a whole year in between when he got done playing before he went into being an administrative assistant and then became a coach. We know him very well. I give him the highest recommendation that I could possibly have. I don't excuse anything, but my experience with him is that he's a top-of-the-line guy. My thought for you, you know, you've been around, uh, you've coached at all sorts of levels, you're a mission president, and uh, you and I have talked a little bit about the challenges that they that, that presents. <laughs> so you've managed people for a for better part of 40 years now my thought for you this word and it was the big one obviously the n-word what form uh, it was spelled traditional or not uh, when did we as a society become comfortable with that word because when i grew up man if you said that word that's like the worst thing you could say absolutely absolutely and the thing is in the society that we live in that word is used uh, you know, in so many different contexts. And, and it's used by African-American community. It's, it's used by, obviously, racist white folks that might use that. But, but it's used in, uh, in, in movies, in music. Uh, it's part of our culture. That, I mean, and, and, but you're right. I mean, there is no way that that would ever come out of your mouth. I mean, that, that's just the most inappropriate thing. But it's kind of like the world has been desensitized to this because it, it is a word that the African-American can use in, in humor or telling a story or in music. But 
certainly it, it's not appropriate for a, a, a white person to say and use that word in that context or any context. So what happens, the lines get blurred. And certainly uh, I've been in settings where you have uh, Hispanic players, white players, black players, and, and that, that word has been thrown around as, as an adjective, as a noun, as a verb. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like some of the inappropriate uh, language that, that people use in the world today as, as it comes to swearing. You know, I mean, you, words are used so differently today where when I was in high school, you know, nobody would ever, ever say that swear word. You know, that, that, that was an absolute no-no. You know, now it's the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth. And, and, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't see this word, the N-word, being a word that is thrown out but amongst their own people and the African-American community. I, I've had lots of African-American players who I've heard say that word. But they're saying it to themselves, and oftentimes it, it was said in an inappropriate way for, to, to, in, 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 a, in a way that was, uh, uh, in, in, in terms of being friends. That was just the terminology, but certainly none of my white, I've never heard in my 40-plus years of working forever, a, a white person using that, that word. And, but the context is really important. And I think that it's a situation that, you know, it's, it's not an easy decision. You know, and maybe this doesn't even make the headlines if it's a different time. If it's a year ago, this is something that may just, hey, you know what, he's going to, we're going to dock some pay, or he's going to be suspended, he's going to go to uh, counseling, uh, he, he's going to work through it, he has uh, significant remorse, he's sorry, he's apologized to everybody that has been involved, and, and maybe you move forward and he's a better person for it. But it is a little bit more difficult right now where, where there's such a heightened sensitivity to all things that are going on and that are just tragic. I mean, obviously, uh, if, if the pandemic wasn't enough uh, to have this, all of this uh, racism and blatant disregard for human life and um, all of the things that are happening, uh, you know, it just all happened at one time and there is... A, heightened sensitivity times 100 than there would have been maybe if it happened at another time. So, um, it, you know, and I, I've heard nothing but really good things about Morgan, too. And let's face it, people do make mistakes. I mean, I mean, we live in a world where people all the time have made serious mistakes in their life, have shown great remorse, changed, become better people as a result of it, become advocates for whatever mistake they've made, and they move on. And, and people are okay with that. And then there are some situations that uh, it's just, you know, it's not politically correct enough to, to stand behind this man. And, and it just, it's, it's inappropriate. We've got to draw the line. I mean, I don't know how this thing ends, but I, hopefully it ends where we've involved uh, certainly the people that have been offended. They're part of that narrative. Uh, the, 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 play, the former players who probably are stepping up for him and saying, hey, listen, he, he was a great human being, treated me respectfully. All of that's going to be gathered, and at, at some point in time, I don't know whether that's a head coach decision or if that's a, the president of the institution decision. Whatever it is, there's probably going to, people, there are going to be people that are not happy, and, uh, and that's just what you have to live with. So uh, it's unfortunate, and it seems to me that the character of Morgan Scali is it, over the years – He's been a high-character guy, a great human being, but, uh, you know, he, he had one of those hiccups in life that's become very public, and, and he has to kind of 
navigate those waters and go through it. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not being intimately involved in that. Uh, I know the sensitivity. I do know that people can change. And, but ultimately, it's going to come down to the president, probably the institution or the athletic director or the head coach or all three. They're going to say, we, we've got to move forward because we can't tolerate this. It's especially at this time when uh, there's so many other really, really inappropriate things happening in our country at the highest level to the lowest level. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And any other week, the first thing we would have asked you about is uh, Caleb Lohner, who, uh, do you know his dad? His dad played 94, 95, 96. I don't know how much overlap or interaction he would have had, but now he's this four-star recruit coming out of uh, Wasatch Academy, signed a letter to go Utah, but now he wants uh, out of it and wants to go to BYU. So, wow, that couldn't have played out any more dramatically. Ironically, uh, about two years ago, I was in Provo visiting, and I went to watch practice. Dave, Coach Rose, I went to meet with Dave and, and just talk to some of the guys. And I was in town, and on that particular day, I don't know if it was an official visit or an unofficial visit, but Caleb and his dad happened to be there. It's just kind of the irony of, of this situation. And I didn't know him. I talked to Coach Rose. He told me a little bit about him, told me that uh, – Great shooter, athletic, you know, kind of. So I, I sat and talked to uh, the young man for about 15, 20 minutes there while they were getting a little run up and down at the practice facility. And, uh, you know, I got the sense that, I mean, I, I just got the sense, I feel like, hey, his dad played here. Uh, he's here. He's here on an early recruiting trip, whether it was official or unofficial, I don't know. But he was there watching. And, you know, he was a delightful young man. And then I talked to his dad at length and about my, you know, they wanted to know about my experience. And, I probably spent 45 minutes with the two of them. And uh, so I was, I was just surprised to hear about this. Uh, obviously, I, I know a number of the people on the Utah staff and uh, thought that was really good get. And I figured, you know, Dave, it was one of those things where Coach Rose uh, is, is done at BYU and this kid had committed to Coach Rose and his staff. And it's like, he probably opened his recruiting again, and Utah was probably recruiting him just as hard as everybody else. So it kind of made sense that, if okay, I was going there because of Coach Rose and the staff, but they're not there. You know, I don't know all the things that happened in between, but, you know, all of a sudden he's at Utah, and I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so public as I'm leaving and I'm going to BYU. <laughs> you know, and so I don't know everything that happened in between, but I do know the family. And I was surprised when he didn't go to BYU. But then I thought, well, maybe it was about being with Coach Rose. And, uh, th- and because there was an unknown then uh, and didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, of course, obviously, Mark came in and done a great job and had a, an amazing year. And I don't, know what, I don't know what all impacted that decision. If it was made early on, uh, who knows. But uh, I know either way that, that if he doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's going to stay at Utah. So, uh, it'll just be a matter of whether or not they uh, release him, but that's that's a tough that's a tough loss because he's got a huge upside, and uh, he's bouncy, he can shoot it, and he's still young. Um, so that's unfortunate for Utah. Uh, very surprising to me, especially based upon my experience that I had with the young man and his father. Great, great people, and it seemed like a no-brainer that he'd go to BYU a couple of years ago when he was on that official visit. Um, and it sounds to me that we've come full circle, and that's kind of where he wants to end up. It's just going to be a matter of whether he has to sit out or not, I guess. 
Yeah, so you're a coach and a kid comes to you, whether he's in your program or sign a letter of intent, he's going to join your program, and he says he doesn't want to be there. What are you supposed to do? You know what? There's not much you can do. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know if this is a much, as much of and I, listen, I, I have no idea because I've not talked to anybody on either staff, but it's one of those things that it may have been a situation where the reason, and again, I'm just, this is speculation, but if, if the reason he didn't come was because Coach Rose and his staff uh, were done and that's kind of where he had his relationship with and, and, it may, and maybe at the time it was a hard decision to make and he loved the guys at Utah and Larry and all the assistants there, um, then he has a year to kind of watch BYU play and, uh, and, and, and see the, the experience there. Uh, you watch his Utah play, and all of a sudden starts thinking, hmm, I, I kind of like the, 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 maybe the tempo of the game. I looks like I have more opportunities here. And, and then, you know, he, he comes back. Cause I, I was with, I've been with the staff at Utah, and, and they were excited about having him, and, and uh, everything was, uh, was really, really positive. So I don't know if it was the things that transpired over the year with both programs, um, you know, or it was just one of those things that he, uh, he, just, he just changed his mind. But uh, probably a combination of all of those things. But as a coach, if somebody doesn't want to be there, uh, you don't want them there. It's not going to work out. And, and I don't know all the, the inside details in terms of how that happened. Uh, my only speculation is, he came really close to going to BYU. There was questions. And, and if I'm recruiting against BYU, I'm going, hey, you don't know who the next coach is going to be, you know, this and that, all those things that are going on. And I, did, he, did he commit early or did he commit late from Wasatch? Do you remember? I don't. Yeah, so that would, that would play into it as well. And he may have, he may have committed uh, early to them. I think he did. I, it seems to me I, I was uh, around the staff a year ago, and he was committed. So he committed early before BYU had their season, before Utah had their season, and it could have been as simple as, you know what, I'm not sure I fit into this system as much as I'd like to fit into BYU system, all the positive energy and things that were happening there. Probably as he watched that whole thing unfold, either him, his parents, or a combination of coaches, whoever helped him make that decision, they decided, hey, this is where I want to be. I want to play this way. And uh, and there are consequences for those kinds of things because, as as there should be sometimes, because you go ahead as a coach and commit a scholarship and walk away from others, and now all of a sudden, you know, you you get late in the year and you find out a young man that was going to come in and possibly play minutes, especially considering they have a little bit of attrition uh, with a, with a guard already. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of unfair to the to the Utah program and to the coaching staff there. I mean, they're kind of hung out to dry. There's not much. They're not going to fill that void in uh, during the summertime, and, and certainly probably not this summertime when we're having a pandemic and everybody's in and uh, and, and you can't go out and recruit. So it, I have empathy for the Utah staff. I mean, it's a difficult thing, uh, but it never works out if a young man doesn't want to be there. And so it'll be that decision will be made up to the coaching staff and the athletic administration whether they release them or don't. But it did put Utah in a pretty precarious position. Uh, but I do believe that having the opportunity to kind of watch from afar and see both programs, it, does, it makes sense to me that Loner, who loves to shoot it and he loves up tempo and that's kind of way he wants to play, uh, would change his mind. 
the, the question is, will there just be consequences to that or not? He committed, uh, there's a Tribune story I just found while you were talking, August 21st, 2019, so late last yeah. summer. Yeah, so, you know, he had a chance to, to watch everything unfold, and, uh, and who knows what's going on behind the scenes uh, with family, extended family, coaches, everybody that's involved, his, his coaches at Wasatch, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you all have been around this enough. Crazy stuff happens. But I, I know that when I was around the Utah team last a year or so ago, they were excited about having him and uh, felt like he'd be a great piece, especially with his ability to to bounce it as well as shoot the three and just had a huge upside, I think. And so that's got to be really disappointing for them. Um, but he's made it pretty clear publicly at, at every level that he doesn't want to be there, and uh, which is unfortunate for Utah. And, 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 and a great get for BYU, who has been looking for another shooter. Well, Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and joining us. You're welcome, guys. Take care. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland, our college basketball insider, getting his thoughts on football because as a CEO, you know, football coaches are running a bigger operation than basketball coaches, but they're still making a lot of the same types of decisions. It's just with football, you got to scale everything up because of the numbers. And I really thought his comments on Loner were insightful there. Um, and I know there were you fans who wondered if, hey, they can hold on to Loner. And boy, Steve threw a big old bucket of cold water on that, didn't he? When a kid doesn't want to be there. I don't know everything that happened behind the scenes with this. Um, it kind of came out of left field to me. I haven't heard. A lot of times the stuff comes out of left field and then over time, details come out. And as you get away from the actual event, people get more willing to talk. So we may hear. But I thought Steve kind of gave the logical straight line, probably most likely scenario. Is there more to it? We'll find out over time. Um, But you can see where, hey, he was leaning towards the Y. The Y is having a coaching change. I don't know what that's all about. And I like the U. But then you go through a year and the U has a disappointing year. And the Y is set up to go to the NCAA tournament and... You, you you love the setup there, and your dad went there, and you see the BYU-Gonzaga crowd. Kind of get how that can play out. All right, Eric Rowe next on Morgan Scally, the former youth, the current Miami Dolphin. Eric Rowe joins us next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Eric Rowe, former Ute cornerback, now a Miami Dolphin. Eric, good morning. How we doing? Uh, we're, we're doing all right. Uh, I'm sure you've heard because uh, the Ute football alumni are all connected, so word spreads fast. I'm sure you've heard oh, about. Yeah. yeah, I've heard you heard about. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about Morgan Scally uh, being suspended, and I've I've read some stuff on Twitter. I read some stuff in the stories. Chris Kamrani, who writes for the Athletic, has reached out to a lot of former Ute athletes and gotten some uh, gotten some feedback from them. It's pretty nuanced about what they think and what they don't think, and. Uh, 
It's funny, we had Guy Holiday on the air last week, and we saw an interview with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on ESPN, and they said, you know, what needs to be done first? Well, first, people need to listen a lot. Um, so this is our chance to listen to you and your experience in the youth program and with Morgan, because, uh, you know, you've heard the news, and we're just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I saw the news. I mean, one, it was shocking uh, that... You know, once I read like the whole thing, but I know it's you know personally from media, I can't you know can't take it one side because you know how the media is. Once you get like you know they'll just tell one side of the story. So you know I talked, uh, and then I you know Coach Scally he had called me, you know told me his side and and you know kind of how he was feeling and and I, I think it's just you know right now. Especially you know today's time, this you know it's really hypersensitive uh, with all the you know the debate and the protesting and and you know social injustice. But you know the thing, like I I don't agree you know with you know using the term. Uh, I mean I, I you know I, I don't you know condone that. Uh, not just you know from him kind of like from really every race i mean you know it's a racial slur wish it was out out the you know the language book but you know in reality everybody uses it you know where you know it should be or not like and but to have to have you know he told me the story and how he you know flew right out to texas and apologized like hell to the family and to the player uh, you know, to have them, that family, you know, kind of forgive him. You know, knowing the man he is, I mean, I mean, he's he's one of the greatest, you know, men. You know, I you know have a relationship with. You know, his values, his work ethic, just the way he views life, and to have it all, you know, kind of tarnished by, you know, one, you know, mistake. I know he wish he can take back. Uh, I mean, it's. I don't agree with it. You know. I mean, you know, the way Twitter's just hashing on them, and cause, I mean, because they don't know the context, but you know, even to have that player even come play for the school, you know, for his four years, and you know, you know, all that, I, I just feel like, you know, and everybody has different experiences with him. I seen other, I seen the other, you know, other player side. I have seen their tweets. Uh, even though I don't agree with them, I mean, doesn't mean I'm right, doesn't mean they're right, but. You know, with the whole Scally thing, I think it's just—it's sad, though. It's just sad. Eric, you're from Texas. I mean, you speak of of Singleton, who's also from Texas, and and he did come and play here for four years, and then transferred on to Houston. Uh, he was on Twitter, and he basically uh, stood up for Morgan, and and. You know, we know Morgan. He's a local guy. We've been in the community for a long time, and we think he's a great guy too. It is troubling when you have ex players like uh, Mo Lee and uh, Ryan Lacey say what they say. You can only go through your experiences. Now, I don't remember when Lacey played, but I believe you were a teammate of Mo Lee's. Do you have any idea why they would say that, as far as the validity of their claims? Uh, I mean, it's probably their, you know, experience with them. You know, I can't, I can't sit here and be like, you know, oh, they're just, you know, they're trying to lie on him or, you know, trying to hash him too. Like, honestly, I don't know. It's whatever they had, like their personal experience with Scally. I mean, mine was different. My experience was, 
you know, the guy that pushed me, you know, in school and in football and, you know, just to be a better man, like, you know, like I am today. So, that, I mean, that's my experience with him. Maybe, you know, there's a difference. So, you know, I can't really, I can't really, you know, judge on, you know, kind of what they said, but, I mean, they said what they said. I'm curious going through the recruiting process because I was uh... – I was I played high school sports, but I was never good enough to get recruited. And so, if the U keeps him, and and I think that there is an interest in keeping him because if there wasn't, I think he'd already be gone. So, it, there's an interest in keeping him. But how does that work in recruiting? Because now he'd be carrying this baggage going forward. We've heard about negative recruiting out there. It would be something for uh, other schools to float. How would that work? Put yourself back, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old you going through the process. How would that work? How big an impact would that have? Or can you even speak to that because it would be so different for so many different people? Yeah, it's... It's, it's definitely going to hurt, you know. I mean, it kind of is how it is, like kind of reality. It, it, it hurt his reputation. I mean, that's he done a lot of, you know, a hell of a lot of good for, you know, the state and the program for I don't know how many years he even played there. But, I mean, maybe within time, but right now it's, it's kind of all ruined by, you know, this one incident. You know, if I was – if I was getting recruited and obviously I don't know him as a man or the context or you know, the whole situation, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't go to the school based on that, but I would, you know, kind of think twice, like, you know, you know, he, he's saying, you know, not that, not that he's calling people the N word, but you know, he, he's saying it. Maybe that's, Maybe that's the culture, maybe in the coaching staff. I don't know. Like, you know, not, not saying that that's him, but if you don't know him, you may think, or, or their parents may think, like, you know, maybe that's the, you know, the culture at the school or the football program. So, like, it, it's, it's going to hurt, you know, either way, whether he, you know, comes back, you know, to the program or, you know, or if he gets – or, you know, if he gets fired, like, so, I mean, either way it's going to hurt maybe within time, but, you know, for right now, in the next couple of years, it's, it's definitely going to hurt. So can you say that was not the culture at Utah when you were there for your four years from 2011, 2015? No, no, that, that definitely was not the culture. <laughs> I definitely, I mean, that, I was, I was shocked that, you know, it happened, you know, in you know my you know my time I was there, so they never got brought up, never got you know even spoken a word of. So that's why it, it was shocking to me. I was like, oh damn, this happened when I was there. I didn't even know. Like, I mean, so like, but that's that's definitely not the culture up there. <laughs> So I'm, I'm curious, uh, because there's a similar story going on at Iowa right now with their strength and conditioning coach, and the head coach, Kirk Ferentz, has spoken to that. I'm curious, when you're in an NFL locker room and you compare college experiences, is that something you've heard guys have to put up with? Is that something that's pretty common? It happens, but it's not very common. What do you hear in the locker room in the NFL? Uh, not, not really. I mean, at least my experience, I haven't heard any, you know, any stories, you know, like this or like the one in Iowa uh, where, 
you know, racial slurs are being used by, you know, maybe like, you know, non-black coaches, but uh, so I haven't really heard any, you know, any stories of that. So I, I, I actually don't know. So Morgan Scally reached out to you. I assume it was last week when you when he called you. Uh, what did it mean to you that he would call you personally to have a personal conversation to you about this situation? It, it, it meant a lot. I mean, it like I said. I mean, it shows like the man he is. I mean, he's not he's not denying. You know, he didn't call me to deny the whole, you know, this whole allegation, this investigation thing. I mean, he he just told me, like, I made a mistake. Uh, I mean, I know how him and Coach Shaw's, like, relationship is. He's like, you know how our relationship is. I made a mistake. You know, it's not, you know, the man I am. I am not, you know, I am not, you know, any form of racist or stand for racism. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, it was, it was genuine. And, I mean, it meant a lot because... You know, the fact that, you know, I know he didn't just call me, but, you know, I'm one of the guys that, you know, he just thought of, like, hey, I need to, you know, tell these guys, like, you know, he wants to tell his side of the story because, obviously, I mean, he's not allowed right now, like, to go to the media with it. Right. So, like, to call, like, you know, to just, like, think of me. I mean, we talk every now and then, uh, but, you know, just to think of me, I know he's going through a, you know, really, you know, dark time right now, him and his family, you know, just to, you know, call me up and... You know, tell him that. Tell me that. You know, I'm sorry. You, you know, it's not who I am. Uh, you know, just tell me his side of the story. I mean, it means a lot. Eric Rowe joining us, former Utah and current Miami Dolphin cornerback. Have you uh, talked to uh, other ex Ute players over the weekend? Yeah, I talked to I talked to a couple. I talked to uh, Andy Phillips, and actually, he's the one that told me. I was actually. Uh, I think I was just cleaning my house in Florida, and I had no idea what was going on. He called me and told me, but I talked to him about it. Uh, Jeff Battle, he was there in 2011 just for, like, the freshman year, but then he transferred, but I talked to him about it. And so, I mean, we I talked to a couple guys, and, I mean, we're all, like, we're all on the same page. And I know a couple guys, you know, like, uh, like Hatfield and Lacey, I know they're on, you know, a different page, but, you know, that's their experience. But, yeah, I talked to a couple guys about it. So you're from Texas, as we said, and established, uh, and Morgan recruits that Houston area. Was he your recruiter when you were in high school? Yeah, he was. He's the one that got me up there. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) you obviously had faith in him. You say he's the one who got me up there. So how big of a factor was the trust you had in him in terms of you leaving that area to come up to Salt Lake City? Uh, I mean, it was a lot. Because honestly, when when he came to recruit, I remember at practice, I had no idea. I mean, I think it's maybe just like the marketing. I had no idea Utah had a football program. Like, <laughs> I was like, Utah, like who? And But then, you know, obviously, you know, talking to him and I, you know, did all that research. I was like, oh, you know, this is legit. But just that, you know, I had a lot of trust in him and, he told me like he didn't. I mean, he didn't tell me like how a lot of recruiters like. Oh yeah, you know, I heard this from a bunch of other scouts. Like, yeah, you'll come up and start, and we'll shift the defense, you know, to your you know abilities and blah blah blah. I mean, he just told me like it is. He was, 
I remember he was like, look, you got to come and compete. I mean, there is a spot open, but it's not guaranteed. Like, you get what you earn, you know, all that. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I don't like to hear all the, you know, all the bull, like, all the hype, like, yeah, you're going to come and start right away because I know that's not how life is. So but I had a lot of trust in him, and shoot, he got me up there. Eric Rowe, former Ute and current Miami Dolphin, uh, joining us. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you a little bit about the NFL. How excited is everybody in the NFC in the AFC East that uh, Tom Brady's no longer in the AFC East that he's gone to the NFC? <laughs> oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, all, all, all you know, all three of us, the other teams, you know, we're hell excited. I mean, one to have a dominant factor. You know, kind of like when LeBron left the East and the NBA is like, okay, you know, it's back open. Like, <laughs> so I know, you know, we were talking about, I heard some people on the Jets and the Bills, they're like, oh, yes, like finally, like, you know, now we have, a, you know, a higher chance to win the division, you know, that now that he's gone. <laughs> what was it like as far as playing for that New England franchise there in that organization? What made them as good as they were because you were right in the thick of things there for a few years yeah it was the, it was the consistency I mean from OTAs because I mean everybody works hard in the NFL there's no doubt about that it was a consistency of getting the little details right every day you know every practice you know obviously executing the game and just for months straight because, you know, the first couple months of, you know, uh, of the season, you know, everybody's hyped up and ready. But when it gets down to November, December, when, you know, bodies are tired, people are injured, that's when, you know, people start to lose a little bit of focus on, like, the little details of whether it's your technique or the plays or the scheme or your awareness. But up there, I mean, Bill, he, he harked on it every day, you know, Get, get the little details right, and if you didn't do it in practice, you weren't going to be in the game. So, I mean, that's one thing. I, you know, I, you know, I'm glad I was there. You know, I learned. I learned that. What is Bill Belichick like to be around every day? <laughs> every day, I mean, he's he's actually he's pretty quiet. He's a really quiet guy. Kind of if if it's not football, he's pretty quiet. Uh, it's it's, it's hard to, you know, get him to smile. But, I mean, it's pretty cool. You know, he just like work. You know, you just go around. I say, what's up, coach? And he just says, hey. And, and you know, you just kind of go on your business. <laughs> so how much crap did you give uh, Kyle Van Noy in New England about beating BYU every year? And how much crap are you going to continue that in Miami? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I give him all three years. <laughs> all three years, straight crap. Every time we play him, or but he, but I mean, he knew. He's like, man, we we couldn't beat you when I was there. We still ain't beating you. He's like, there ain't no point of fight back. <laughs> but I still give him crap though. <laughs> Well, Eric, we appreciate a few minutes. Uh, I know it's uh, it's been an emotional weekend for the people who are close to uh, Morgan, but we appreciate you being willing to come on and uh, talk and uh, share your thoughts with a lot of uh, football fans here who are listening. Uh, no, appreciate having me on. There's Eric Rowe, Miami Dolphin now, played at the U, now with the Dolphins and a former Patriot as well. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. What is Trending's coming up next.